So over the past uh, few weeks as a community of faith, we've been traveling together through this series uh, called Roadwork Ahead. We have been going through the book of Philippians, and we've been talking about, first of all, how God holds our world. That even in the midst of those moments where it seems as though we're blocked or we're stranded or we've been left alone, that Jesus is right there holding our world the whole time. We talked about what happens when the worst seems to happen. We talked about that no matter what, God has a great ending, no matter how bad it may seem in the current moment, and that everything is temporary. We talked about tribal living and realizing that unity is critical, but unity doesn't always necessarily mean conformity. That we can be unified, but that doesn't mean we have to conform to the things of the world around us, or even that we can have different opinions at different times. We also talked about avoiding the roadblocks that are ahead of us, and following those signs that the Lord gives us deliberately to help us get to where he desires us to be without being held up at certain points. Pastor Don talked to us just a few weeks ago about how to finish strong. And that in those moments when we are detoured or we're at a standstill in the traffic of life, how that we can just keep going and finish strong and not give up but stay the course. Last week I talked to us about passing the stress test and how there are different points and times in our life that we go through stressful tests. But no matter how stressful the test may be or how extreme it may seem, I talked to us about how that God will still complete what he starts. So this morning we're going to finish this series up, talking about uh, the road work ahead, but most of all we're going to talk about finding our sweet spot in the midst of our dead ends, our delays, and our detours. Mr. Turtle, how many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? Why, he never made it without biting. Ask Mr. Owl. Mr. Owl. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? Let's find out. One, two, three, three. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop? The world may never know. How many of you remember that? I remember watching Saturday morning cartoons all the time and seeing that. You know, our lives are a lot like a Tootsie Pop. Sometimes we encounter a lot of hardness, hard situations, tough things. And we know at the center, if we know if we can just get past that outer shell, that hard area of our lives, we will encounter that sweet spot, that area that is sweet to us. It's sweet to our emotions. It's sweet to our minds. It's sweet to our spirit. And we know what's waiting for us on the other side, if we can just get there. Sometimes getting to that sweet spot is as easy as steps one, two, and three. But then there are those times in our lives where it takes more than those three steps. Where it takes us a little longer, a little more perseverance, a little more patience to get to that sweet center of where God wants us to be. I define a sweet spot as when our passions and our giftings that God has given us and our calling come together, and we begin to operate in those. 
we begin to use what God has given us, and we begin to move in them with consistency. We begin to recognize what God has put in our hands, and we take it and we use it, and we put forth effort. But sometimes, in the midst of roadblocks, in the midst of delays, hitting and dodging potholes, it's hard for us to remember that there is a sweet spot that God has set aside for us. Sometimes in the moment, like the Tootsie Pop, it's easy for us, after a few licks, to give it up and just throw it away. And we say, is it really worth it pursuing for that little thing in the center? But for followers of Christ, it's worth every moment. It's worth every effort. The book of Philippians tells us that when we find contentment in God's provision, the care and the care of our friends, that our journey actually becomes enjoyable. See, for some of us, our journey through, through our walk with Christ has been great because we've learned what contentment is through Christ. And we have learned to grab hold of those that are around us that we call our friends, and we've learned to harness the wisdom that they give us, the encouragement and the edification. And then there are some of us who are in this spiritual journey with God, and we've hit the roadblock, and all we see in front of us is the sign that says, road closed. And we're not content. We've grown impatient. And we've already pondered numerous times putting the vehicle in reverse, doing a U-turn, and going back and heading the opposite direction. And going back to what is comfortable instead of heading to where God has us. As he brings his letter to a closing, the Apostle Paul generously boasts about his contentment in Christ. And at the same time, he encourages the Philippian believers and says to them, Listen, guys, keep pressing forward. No matter how slow it may seem, how fast it may speed up, or what detours you're going to face, keep pressing in with this movement of servanthood that you are embarking on because you are making a difference. We find in the book of Philippians this is important because finding our sweet spot means that we're satisfied in all things. You know, that's hard for us, to be satisfied in all things. It's easy for us in our culture, with everything at our fingertips, to not be satisfied. If you want something faster, it's available. If you want something bigger, it's available. If you want something that's smaller and faster, it's available. If there's something that you don't like, there's something better for you. Let me give you some examples. It is the newest, even newer. Oh. Everything else is obsolete. I just want this one. Oh, whoa, wait. Oh, 4D TV? Stupid. You got the wrong TV, silly head. <laughs> you ever feel like that? You ever feel like that where you're running around, you're, you're hitting yourself saying silly head? You ever feel like that spiritually? That we become unsatisfied with what God has currently given us? So what we do is 
we feel because we have a plethora of avenues to find more of God in the moment or the answer that we think that we need that we really don't need is that we'll just go to another conference. We'll just upgrade and go to another conference. Oh, the package that God has given us spiritually right now, I don't think is really working for me. So we'll just upgrade and we'll go on the internet and find what the latest prophetic word is saying. Or we're not satisfied in our current situation, so we feel that we have the tools ourselves to spiritually upgrade our situation. Because sometimes, in our minds, we actually declare by our actions that God really doesn't know what he's doing. So we're just going to help him move along because we know our situation better than he knows it. And so when God speaks to us, and he illuminates our hearts, and he illuminates our minds with the very whispers of his own voice, or through the very written word of God, for the moment it's great, and we get excited. But two or three days later, we want something else because we're not satisfied. In the book of Philippians, look with me here in chapter 4, verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So Paul, first of all, says, I'm glad you renewed your concern for me. That's important. See, that word renew actually means you once were focused and you got sidetracked, but you came back now and you're focused. Paul was saying to the Philippian church, he was saying, hey guys, I am so glad that the Holy Spirit has refreshed you, has encouraged you, and that you have returned to what he has called you to do, no matter what you're going through. Because, guys, I was a little concerned. I'm paraphrasing what Paul would have said. He says, guys, I was a little concerned because you were really on track. In the midst of it all, everything was going great, and you really had your goals set. But when things started to go a little wishy-washy, a little hard, a little upset, a little upsetting, you lost your focus. You forgot about what you were called to do. And he writes and he says, but I'm excited because your focus has been renewed. You've realized that you have found your sweet spot and you're moving in it. And then he goes on to use that word content. The word content there literally means self-sufficient. In the Greek, because of the way Paul wrote this, he was making a parallel of understanding for the Philippian church because they were so influenced by Greek culture. See, for the Greeks, to be self-sufficient meant that if you needed something done, you did it in your own strength. If you had the money to do it, you just did it. If you had the resource, you just did it. If you wanted it done, you just made it happen. And for the Greeks, knowledge was part of that self-sufficiency. They didn't need to depend on the God of the universe because they had it all up here to solve their issues. And Paul makes this contrast, and he says, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. 
the reason I have sufficiency is because Christ Jesus provides it. And he was saying, guys, don't be like the Greeks. Don't force the will of God when you're at your roadblock. Don't push God out and say, I've got enough self-sufficiency to handle the situation. I'll just remap our route and I'll get us there where we need to go. Because right now, no one's recognizing my passions. Because right now, no one's recognizing my spiritual giftings. Because right now, I just don't know the will of God. So I think I'll just be self-sufficient enough and I'll chart my own course to get to my sweet spot that God has intended for me. Let me tell you this. When in God's timing, God will allow man to see your passion, God will allow man to affirm your giftings, and God will open the doors for your calling. Until then, the word of God tells us that the calling on our life, the passion that should fill our hearts, the giftings that God has given us is to make disciples of every nation, to love God with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That is the will of God. So when people come to me and say, I just don't know what the will of God is for my life, you know what I say to them? Are you making disciples? Are you loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Are you loving your neighbor as you would want to be loved? That's the will of God for your life right now. Yeah, but, I mean, I've got this passion and I've got... ah. God knows. He's the one who charted the course before you even existed, the word says. One thing about Paul is that he understood the promises of God are conceived when we realize that God is greater than our natural vision. Paul understood this. For a guy who was in imprisonment, a guy who seemed to be at a dead-end road, he understood that once he stepped back and realized that God was greater than his current natural vision, he really wasn't limited. He found his sweet spot and he moved in it. So he ends up in jail. And we could say, well, that was the enemy stopping him. Or we could say, well, it was the will of God. But what we can say for sure is that in the midst of Paul's imprisonment, he became a threat to the enemy with the power of the pen. He found a sweet spot. Where are you at? What dead end are you at? What are your giftings? What are your passions? What is your calling? Have you recognized them? Have you invested into those? You know, I've had people say, Pastor Jason, I know that I'm called into ministry, and I know that I'm called to do this, and I know that God has given me this specific ministry and to go here and to minister to these people, but it's just not happening. And I said, well, what are you doing to prepare? What are you doing to get ready? 
And they said, well, I'm just waiting for God. I said, no, God is waiting for you. And they look at me like I have three heads. And I said, here's why. God is waiting for you to be preparing yourself for when he does call you. That way, when he calls you, you're all ready to go. So when you're sitting at the roadblock, when you're taking the detour, don't get engrossed in what you naturally see in front of you. Don't be overcome with what is being perceived in your natural vision. Because God is conceiving something greater in the spirit for you in the moment. And you need to partner with him so that he can birth it. That he can make it come accordingly and timely when he gets you to the destination that you need to be at. Look at what Paul says in verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do this through him who gives me strength. I want you to underline that. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Okay, so get this. That whole phrase there, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That is like a common lingo, word, scripture, whatever you want to deem it as in the community of faith. And here's what I mean. How you doing? Well, brother, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How you doing today? I'm suffering a little, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, when I actually began to study the Greek, and I know that you don't like all sit around with commentaries and you know, you're like, what's the Hebrew for this? And what's the Greek? And, but because of what God has allowed me to do, I have the ability to do this so that way I can equip you. And so in studying the Greek and understanding what this actually means... It was a word of edification to the Philippian church and to us, and here's why. It wasn't just so much about in the midst of your current circumstance, God's going to strengthen you to overcome. What Paul was saying is, how much do you trust God? Because what he was clarifying was, the churches were giving so much of their resource— And so much of their time and finances to the point that they had nothing left except to utterly depend on Christ to provide their resources. And so Paul has this ability to ring out and say, remember, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Remember, we can accomplish anything. Because we're in the situation now where we're not depending on ourselves anymore. We're not depending on what we think we can do. We're no longer, we're declaring we're not self-sufficient anymore. We're only sufficient through Christ. And I thought, wow, could I ever come to the point in my life where I can really declare 
that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that I willingly let go of my resources and my finances to the point where I am utterly dependent on Christ for the next meal, for the next bill to be paid. I don't know about you, I'm, I'm not even close to there. I don't even know if I will get there because of my selfishness. But also, this is what else Paul says. And I love this. He basically says that followers of Jesus should have the ability to stand out in the midst of crisis. Why do you think that is? Because we have a fresh view of the nature of God. See, you're at your roadblock, you're at your standstill, you're on your detour. You're in the slow lane right now. You're hitting the rumble strips as we speak. And you know that something is coming because of all the signs that you're seeing on the way. Our natural tendency is to hunker down, enclose ourselves, keep ourselves tight inside our vehicles. Not communicate... And hopefully wait it out that it won't be too long and we'll get to our destination. But we end up coming to a standstill. And then we begin to process through how are we going to get out of it quicker? What can we do? We look for other routes. We use our GPS. We use all these other avenues. And Paul says, no, guys. Mm -mm. You should be able to stand in the midst of that. You should be able to survive in the midst of it. You should be able to persevere. You should be satisfied because you have access to the fresh view of God's nature. So, give me some fresh views of God's nature. Give me some attributes of God's nature, Ralph. He's comforting. Terry, he's all-knowing. Jeff Newber, he's all-loving. Troy Tippin. he took my answer. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He's loving. So we have these natural views of God what we call organic, those things that haven't been tainted and they can't be tainted because God cannot be touched. He cannot be tainted. And so in the midst of our situation, Paul tells us the way that we can be satisfied is by remembering that we have this fresh view of God, that we know that he is for us, that he is not against us. We know that he loves us and that he does not hate us. We know that he has the desire to give us life and not death. So no matter where we are at, whether we're moving slow or everything is going great and we're cruising, but we see the signs ahead that say, road work ahead, slow down, flagman in the way, sign says stop. They're monitoring your speed, telling you to decrease because law enforcement is enforcing that you will get a ticket if you go any faster. The rules of engagement are closing in, but that does not mean 
that we hunker down, that we hide, that we get concerned, and that we get worried because we have this fresh view of God's nature. Our our understanding of God's nature will result in proclamation and worship. Do you ever think about that? When we begin to focus on the nature of God, we have no choice but to proclaim. We have no choice but to worship when we begin to focus on him. That's what the book of Philippians is about. It's about Paul's proclamation and worship after discovering the nature of who God is, no matter what his roadblock was. And he was simply sharing it with the Philippian believers. Here's why. Our worship creates patience. How many of you are patient people? How many of you ask for patience? How many of you are impatient right now? I'll pray for you. See, when we choose not to worry, we're actually worshiping. Because we trust. And when we trust, it develops patience. See, when we trust others, it's easier to be patient with them because we know them. We understand them. When we worship the Lord, it's because we know him. Then we trust him. And we can be patient with him because we trust and know him. Galatians 5, and 23 tells us that God calls us to be people of patience. He desires that. So our satisfaction flows out of being patient in the midst of the situation. We need to be patient because patient people know how to be silent before God. Patient people know how to sit in the presence of God and wait for him to move instead of us moving ahead of him. See, patient people know how to be silent in the presence of God and wait on God for him to move. That's when you find your sweet spot. See, some of you got so much going on. If we could tune into your head, it sounds like white noise. And you're running around and you're like, I need to know the will of God. Where is it? I got to find it. Let me go here. Let me go there. Let me read this book. Let me get this article. Let me listen to this teaching. Where's the will? Where's the will? And it's like. And then we pray, we, we play Russian roulette with the word of God. We're like. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The Lord has spoken. If you are not patient to sit in the presence of God and listen, you will not wait for him. Hence, you will not be satisfied, and you will not find your sweet spot, and you will not grow in your sweet spot, and you will not move in your sweet spot. When was the last time that you actually sat and processed the entire experience that you are currently in and recognize where God was at work. The other day, I, <clears throat> I think it was yesterday, I, I tweeted on Twitter about, I, I tweeted actually that exact thing. 
and uh, it goes to my Facebook page. And I do that on purpose. And it went there, and I got this response. And it, and it's, and it was a cell phone ringing. Um, <laughs> but I got this response back, and the individual said this, I'm too scared to know the process or to look at the overview process. That's a good place to be. Because we can't depend on ourselves anymore. We have to depend on Christ. Finding the sweet spot means that friends demonstrate care by serving. See, I, I believe that there's two types of friends. It doesn't get any more than this, just two types of friends. First of all, you have the friends that you meet one time, and then you're like, oh yeah, they're my friend. You know those kind? You know, you shake their hand once, they're like, oh yeah, hey, they're my best friend. You don't even know their spouse's name. You don't know their kids. Oh yeah, we like go way back. We, we are like brothers. I call that acquaintance. Because there's no intimacy, there's no healthy intimacy in that relationship. Then there's the second type of friend, the friend that serves without agenda. That when you're in need, they have a willingness to put things down just to help you. They're not looking for something in return. They're not like, okay, let's just write this down. All right, I helped you with your flat tire on June 2nd at 9 o'clock. I had to leave work to do this. Okay, so when I need something, I'll, I'll call you. That's not friendship. Friendship is having healthy intimacy with the other individual. And what I mean by healthy is that it aligns with the Word of God. But you're having a healthy intimacy with that other individual. You serve them without agenda, meaning when you call them to hang out, you don't have a hidden agenda. You ever had a friend like that? Hey, come over to my house and hang out. We'll have a bonfire tonight. Show up around like four o'clock. So you get there and they're like, hey, while you're here, I gotta move all this wood in my garage. Mind giving me a hand? Some of you are convicted right now. It's called the Holy Spirit. But anyway, friends, true friends, are friends who take care of one another and serve one another without an agenda. This is what Paul says in verse 16. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not only that, I desire your gifts. What I desi- not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I receive full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received my gift from Aphrodotus, the gifts you sent. They are, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So in this passage, Paul uses some financial lingo. He states and says, I receive, I've received full payment and have more than enough. See, what Paul was saying was, it's like, hey, guys, I am really blown away. Like, this is awesome that you have just so willingly give. You've, like, given me more than enough. But I'm going to tell you, 
I'm thankful, but I don't need all of those things. That's not what I desire. It's not my motive. I need them, and I'm appreciative of it, but that's not my motive as to why I love you and why we love each other. And he goes on to say, but what I'm really impressed with, what I'm really blown away with, what keeps me up at night, is the whole thing about your communal servanthood and your obedience to following God's word and serving without an agenda. Our communal serving creates unity. Unity is important because unity releases endless power and anointing. Unity releases endless power and anointing. See, let me illustrate this for you. Unity is good because men and women, God has, for some reason, at times put anointing, this divine ability that's recognized by man and the authority on some individuals' lives that we can't explain. We see it in the Word of God. We see it today. They operate in miracles. People are healed legitimately. And then there's some people that we just sit there and we're like, hey, God, did you, like, forget about me? Like, I'd like to do that stuff. And we wonder. But if we get past that for a moment and we focus on the bigger picture, the Word tells us that two or more is greater than the one that there's strength in numbers. God designed it, according to the word, that when followers of Christ, meaning the body, not a denomination, but when followers of Christ, those who proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord of their life and they've repented of their sins and they follow Christ, that is a follower of Jesus. When they come together with one mind and one purpose and one thought, God somehow mysteriously and powerfully and biblically in some way takes his power and his hand and he lays it on that group of people. And when he does that, there comes this thing called power. Not a ruling with a fist power, but a supernatural power. And then there comes this anointing, this divine ability that us as humans are not capable of doing without the Spirit of God to accomplish the feat that we are about to face. And the Word tells us that when we remain together— In unity, there is an endless cycle of power and anointing. But when we decide that we can do it better, or we can manufacture it, the cycle begins to break. And now there is space. And the anointing begins to decrease. And the power of God begins to decrease. It's not as effective. When we come together as one, 
and we begin to serve those around us, there is this beautiful cycle of power and anointing that begins to move, and we begin to see things happen that we don't see. I think of this collaboration, this movement of men and women in the city of Erie. It started with some people finding their passion, finding their gifts, and their calling. And they began to see the need in the community of Erie, and they realized that there are people in need And so they began to collaborate. They began to pull together churches in our area. Not under names and banners of organizations, but under the banner of Jesus Christ. Simply to say, we just want to serve those who are in need. We just want to share the love of Christ by helping them. Giving of our time resources. It's called Servieri. We've heard about it. We participated in it. I tell you what, though, there is this incredible cycle of power and anointing that God has put on that unified group of men and women. And if you're interested, actually, I was given the date, July 16th, is the next opportunity to serve. If you want to encounter satisfaction in the midst of your roadblock. If you want to encounter the power and the anointing of unified servanthood, join with me on July 16th, and you'll see what really happens and how lives are changed. If you want to know more about that, this is not my message, but if you want to know more about that, see Bert and Linda Straub, and they'll get you directed in the right place. But see, Paul talks about staying in Thessalonica and in Philippi, which tells us that he had residence there. He knew the people and he served them prior to his imprisonment. See, serving others is not only about loving them. It's about breaking through and occupying territory for Christ. There's more to it when we serve people. See, a lot of times we have this notion as followers of Christ that if we go get a little rake and a little hoe and a little shovel and a little wheelbarrow and we move some dirt around, we put it in a wheelbarrow and we take care of it for somebody who can't, or we go to them and we paint their fence because they don't have the resources or the time or the finances, that our job is done. That we cross it off our little Christian to-do list. I'm a servant of God. We feel that we have accomplished what God intended for us. Serving is critical because it's a hallmark of any follower of Christ. Don't tell me you're a follower of Jesus and not serve. It contradicts. But understand this. Servanthood is an avenue that brings the light of Christ into the places of darkness where Christ was never invited. Since the beginning of time, the Lord has said in the word of God that man is to take dominion over the earth. Our job is to go into those places where Jesus is not welcome and project the light of Christ. 
The way we do it is we serve without agenda. Now, let me tell you how this works. You don't have to go in there and be like, I'm serving for Jesus so the light of Christ will penetrate the area of darkness. That's why I'm here. It's just simple. You go, you serve. You love on them. If they want to talk, you talk to them. And when you're done, you leave. And you come back and you serve. But you say, well, wait a minute, though. How do we take dominion? How do, how do we occupy territory like Paul talked about? You already did. Christ goes where he's invited. We carry him within us. So when we go in the name of Jesus to serve those who are in need, there is a path of righteousness and holiness and obedience that is following us as we pioneer a trail into those areas of darkness. And now there is a direct route for the presence of Jesus to go and remain there. And things start to change. It's simple, guys. Don't hype it up. Don't make it more than what it is. It's that simple. We cannot break through without following through. If we want to bang on the doors and we want to bang on the altar, which we call this down here in prayer, and say we want breakthrough, we will not get breakthrough unless we are willing to follow through. Let me repeat that. We will not get breakthrough unless we are willing to follow through. You haven't found your sweet spot because you turned around in the middle of the detour because you thought you could find a better way. Your breakthrough could have been there, but you chose not to follow through. Look at verse 18. He says, They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. I love those words, acceptable sacrifice. As I was reading this, I realized that we can't say yes to Christ without saying no to something else. See, the reason I said we can't say yes to Christ without saying no to something else, and I'm going to talk to two different types of people here. So the first one is this. There are some of us, and I have been guilty of this, where it's like we treat our spiritual journey as a buffet, all you can eat. So we go to the line and we get our plates. And we just start heaping it on. And you ever notice when you go to a buffet, there's like this mentality that you need to get it now because when you come back, they might not have it. Even though the buffet runs till like five o'clock and it's only noon. And it's like, you see, oh, I need that, oh, I need that, oh, I need that, I need that. And what we do is we expand the borders of our plate so we have all this stuff as far out as it goes before it falls off. So we're not satisfied with that. That's not good enough. So what we do is we start to build upwards. And so then we start building these mountains. And until we feel that we're satisfied enough because... The Lord knows that when we return, there will not be that green beans with almonds that we were hoping for in the buffet line. 
same thing that we do spiritually. We get pumped up about serving God. And serving is critical. Like I said, it's a hallmark of any follower of Christ. But we get pumped up. And what we do is we take our spiritual plates and we just like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to do this and I got to do that. And we, we expand it and it's all the way out on the, on the edge of our plate. And then we say, oh, running out of room. But I got to serve. I got to do more. So we start piling it up and piling it up. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Because we feel that we're going to miss the moment. If we come back too late, that opportunity is not going to be there anymore. And we're going to miss our opportunity to serve God. Maybe that's not supposed to be your opportunity. Maybe you have so much on your plate that you're missing the real opportunity. You have so much on your plate that you can't taste the sweetness of what God intended for you to enjoy in serving others. Now let me talk to the second type of person. There's some of you here right now that you're like, mm-hmm, told you. I told you. In the name of Jesus, I told you. See what the pastor said? Pastor said, you need to say no, servant. You got to say yes to Jesus. You got to say no to everything else. I heard it from the words of the pastor on the the stage. You heard me, I told you 20,000 times. Say no, say no, say no, but you got to serve. You gotta just serve everyone in the name of Jesus. Well, now you heard it. In the name of Jesus, you gotta say no. You can't serve. You wanna serve, you serve Jesus. You wanna serve, you serve me. You wanna serve, you serve the children at our house. You wanna serve, you serve at work, and then you come home and you serve. I heard it from the preacher. I feel sorry for you because you are messing with God. There is a fine balance where we go and approach God and maybe we should start to preview the buffet before we dive in. Do you know when you go to a buffet, it's okay to, before you grab a plate, it's okay to go and look at each dish, see what's available, see what's there, see what's going to taste good, Read the signs. Some of us are in such a hurry to do the will of God, we don't even read the signs. And we end up putting something in our mouth, in our spirit man, and we're like, I don't know what that was. That shouldn't even be on the buffet. I'm not going back and getting that. We do the same thing spiritually. We get so pumped up to serve that we don't look at the signs that God has put before us. We rush into it, and then we're burnt out in a matter of three events. We need to stop. Look at what is before us. Read what God has put before us and find out what it is that he has given to us to use for serving. If God's affection for us cannot be overcome, what would happen if our affections for other people couldn't be overcome? 
Many of us are aware of who Mother Teresa was. Mother Teresa served in Calcutta for, it seems as though, endless amounts of years. She gave her heart, gave her soul, her time, her efforts, resources into serving men and women around her. She gave them her best. I'm paraphrasing what the author had said, but the author who wrote a book about her had asked her several questions. And basically what it came down to was, he said, in those moments, was there ever times that you just wanted to give up and leave? Were there those times, I mean, with disease and with lack of resource, discomfort? Was there ever times that you just wanted to leave? And in basic paraphrasing, what she said was, no. Because my love for God and my love for the people can't be overcome by all those things. Maybe that's the sweet spot we should be looking for. Instead of looking and focusing on delays, roadblocks, detours, potholes, and dead ends, what would happen if our passions giftings, the call that God puts on our lives, encompassed at the center of it that our love for others can't be overcome by anything else. See, if you really want to follow God, and you really want to encounter your sweet spot, you have to learn how to move in your sweet spot even when you're at a dead end, even when you are delayed, even when you are detoured, even when you are trying to dodge the potholes or the discomfort of the rumble strips. In just a few minutes, Sarah and Michael are going to sing a song. And I'll come back and I'll dismiss us. But I don't want you to miss the powerful essence of the words that will be sung. In fact, I want you to ask yourself this question for the next few moments. Are you serious enough to ask God these questions? sky, traced out by the city lights, my world from a mile high, best seat in the house tonight, touch down in the cold black towel, hold on for the sudden start, breathe in the familiar shock of confusion and chaos, and all those people going somewhere, why have I never cared? So give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your heart for the broken hearted The ones beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten
So would you please stand? So he's given us his eyes for the moment so we can see everything that we keep missing. He's given us his love for humanity and arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond our reach. He's given us his heart for those ones forgotten. So the reality is, what else do we really need? Even if we're delayed, rerouted, or completely stopped. Father, I just declare right now that we have a hunger, God, to live out your word. Father, we declare that in the midst of of our roadblocks in the midst of our dead ends in the midst of the rerouting that we are encountering Lord it just doesn't matter anymore we just want to be people who live out your word Father I declare that where our agendas have overcome your will 
pray that you would strip us of that. Father, in those moments where we have denied listening to the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would put us back on track. Father, I pray that when we have treated you as a buffet, and we've treated your word as something miscellaneous, I ask, Father, that you restore to us the importance of your word. Restore to us the realization that the creator of the universe yearns to speak to us, to all of humanity. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will convict our hearts to realize that we are called to serve others who are in need. And when we really want to find satisfaction, it's about being content with what you've given us, spiritually and physically. And it's about taking care of others above ourselves. Father, I pray that we will be people of obedience that we will be people of follow-through. Lord, I pray that we will not just hear another sermon, but God, we will hear the word penetrating our hearts and become people of action and that we will no longer claim ignorance because we have heard. Jesus, I ask that you release the divine ability upon this congregation to serve beyond their means. Father, to steward the resources that you have given them to help others and not ourselves. I pray that you release the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts that we will only move when you tell us to move. And if it sounds like a good idea, we will only filter it through the Spirit of God before we move on it. Now protect us as we go. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.